Hey everybody, Donnie Bovine here. Thank you so much for listening to the episodes. Do me a favor, if you get any value out of these, would you leave me a review? It would mean the world to me. I'm on a massive mission to help as many people as I possibly can get to freedom through building a business. I gotta be honest, building a business is by far the toughest thing I've ever done in my life, and I promise you, my business has worked on me more than I've ever worked on it. I don't think there's a better tool in the world to meet the dude in the mirror than building your own company. You're going to find out what the hell you're made of. In these episodes, I bring on the people that have been through it, gone through it, done it, built monstrous companies, and I get them to coach me on how to actually level up, grow, and scale my business. They're hitting me with some hard questions. They're bringing some amazing advice. And, and I'm telling you, I take notes from every one of these episodes from these people that have actually lived it. They've gone through it and have turned their businesses into amazing empires. So I hope you find a ton of value in this. And I hope that this becomes something you come back to and listen to often. One of the values for my brand is to ensure that it's easy to digest and it's it's not overwhelming and it doesn't feel like oh that's too complicated yeah so but i'm also looking at a perspective of man as as a a business owner three companies were running you know we got the podcast going we got the books we got the speaking we got all these moving parts how the hell do i find time to bring all the brand science into it so we're creating all these legs Man, I always love the episodes where I get to dive into these experts that just geek out on their world and the things they're doing. So I think this is going to be no different. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. Let me ask you a really quick question. When people are thinking about their brand and branding as a whole, where do they miss the overall concept of branding and how are they screwing it up? Ooh, great question. So the the biggest ways that we actually... Uh, mess up and screw up are actually the things that we don't know about. And that's why I'm so actually passionate about brand science. It's the science of how effective branding works. So most of us understand that marketing is, hey, do business with me on a fundamental level. Right. You don't make cell phones. I don't make cars. How do I know whom to purchase from? So that's where branding comes in. That's where you know, you've got your brand mark with kind of the, the Spartan helmet. Like, So, oh, I remember that. I'm going to do business with that. Right. But what's interesting is there's a little subset, a little world that, you know, nerdy glasses I geek out about. And it's how do we make that more effective? And so the okay. fact that people don't know about brand science is already what's hindering them. So all the effort that they spend and all the time, you know, I like circles or I don't like blue. So we know we're supposed to do things like, oh, we want messages that capture and radiate with our audience, but even that's flawed thinking. So the fact that we don't know about brand science is why we're here today. So that's that's what I'm hoping to, to, to share. Uh, yeah, let's dive into it. So, so define brand science. I've actually not heard that term, yeah. so I'm actually looking forward to this now, really. Yeah, yeah. So define brand science for me. Sure. So like I said, marketing is, hey, do business with me. Branding are, are any of the sensory assets or devices in your marketing, you know, your color, your words, shapes, you know, those sensory assets that we remember of the businesses and the brands that we 
hopefully want to work with or they want us to hopefully work with. So brand science is the study of how do we make branding more effective? And there's actually about 13 different sciences um, that help us understand how to communicate. Is this like psychological? Is this... It's a smattering. There's a smattering. There's everything from like literally sequence of cognition, how we process shape, color, then content. So you may see okay. you may see a shape and it may be oval and you're like, uh, it's Samsung and then it's blue and you're like, it's definitely Samsung and then it's Ford. No, oh, right. So depending. <laughs> so then all of a sudden there's there's another thing. It's our our uh, animalistic kind of um, evolutionary mind knows, ooh, red berries bad. We make associations with colors, base colors, shapes, uh, those things based on the context of our our surroundings. So obviously, you know, it's not Samsung if you're at a car lot, silly goose. Right. So based on the context of where you are and what you're doing, there are different boxes. And this is where science number two comes up. It's called semiotics. Semiotics are these little boxes that that fit uh, our, our and we create them in our minds. So if I said to you, hey, Donnie, go get me something out of the fridge that's white. That's in the door. Go milk, right, right. That's in the door. That's a condiment. That's in a jar. That's a vegetable. <laughs> I went from milk to oz and now to ooh. That's a jar and vegetable. Now we get an eggs or <laughs> right, right, right. I went to milk to mayonnaise to then something else. Right. So your mind just went through this process of white. It's like a March Madness bracket. What are my right. options? And you probably landed on onions or horseradish. If anybody like has a jar of onions, they are a hardcore like Chicago hot dog person. That's the only way you would have those. <laughs> well, but usually, if anything, it's horseradish is the only option that's left. And right. I like to use that as an example of semiotics because your brain had several different categories, but then it took you there. And it's kind of a low risk example that doesn't make fun of anybody too. So, so we, <laughs> so we've got, so we've got semiotics. We also have just, um, category norms. Uh, and so some of the category norms are just, um, colors and shapes and items that, uh, are used kind of as trade dress. So red means cola, but Red and all the assets that Coca-Cola has put together specifically make that their brand identity. But you see BK and Dr. Cola, or maybe that's a bad example. That's supposed to be Dr. Pepper ripoff. But, you know, all the, you know, (laughs) uh, and then there's, then there's some deviation in the norms. You know, there's blue, you know, RC Cola, you know, historical Pepsi, you know, there's some other, but for the most part, red can be used uh, to define a category in the soft drink beverage category. What's interesting is people will um, not address this. And this is uh, cultural contextualization. So what does this mean in my culture, in my context? So there's like little things like yellow. And people are like, oh, yellow means happy. And you're like, actually, no, yellow means stained teeth in the dental industry. So we're not <laughs> going to use... And, and Colgate and Crest all wondered why uh, lemon mint... You know, lemon mint didn't, didn't work, right. take off. You know, uh, they tried to make it so blue, it's like blue and yellow. <laughs> like, well, what is that? So, so there's there's several of these that just stack up. You know, because we when when we're seeing the colors or we're we're seeing the images, we're going through that that March Madness bracket in our heads. You, you have no and, clue, right? 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 
So, no, so this is actually a great example. Um, Nobel Prize uh, winning uh, psychologist um, Daniel Kahneman uh, has this book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah. And so that book actually talks about how 95% of our brain, it's not left brain, right brain. It's not creative. It's not, you know, those are just kind of like, you know, which Disney princess are you? You know, <laughs> those are just like BuzzFeed kind of like, they're not really tested, but they're just uh, models that we've used. The most true model is that that 95% of your brain is always on. It's always absorbing and it's making sense of the world around you. And that's actually what our senses, like, like we think, oh, what are the five senses? But what does that word actually mean? We're actually trying to like understand and decipher the world around us. So I try and to survive the world around us, right? Right. So some of these shapes and colors and things we learned, you know, inherently, you know, that red and stop, you know, culturally and contextually Danger, in, in the yeah. U.S. and most places like that's what that means. So we're always on autopilot and we're always absorbing. So you may hear, hear a song in, you know, uh, the elevator or in a store and then be whistling it later because your mind actually absorbed it. And it was like the girl from Iponima. And you're like, where did that come from? What? what? Yeah. This is why, um, this is why branding works because the goal of branding is to make people think of you first. And this is really the, the conversation. There's so many different angles and people want to talk about the immutable laws of branding and, um, how do, how do brands like, what is a brand? And, and, I'm like, thank, it's like a little kit. And I'm like, thank you so much for that wonderful conversation. And I'm going to set this kitten over here and we're going to talk about something else, you know, or as a puppy, it's right. probably more of a puppy, you know, a puppy right. energy. What is branding? A brand is this, a brand is that. And so many, so many people want to chime in and talk to you what brand is. And, and then we want to talk about that, how do brands then, function. And if we right. know how brands function, we can make them more successful. Well, and to your kind of your, your puppy, puppy or kitten analogy, which I think most times people want to do is get to that puppy and be like, okay, branding's done. We did that part. Let's go on to something else versus thinking of the lifespan or the lifetime, not value, but the life cycle of a brand, if sure. you will. Sure. What's really yeah. interesting is you, you kind of brought up two things is. One, that's a myth right there. Like branding is not a one and done activity. You may go through a very strategic, you know, um, I was listening to, to a couple of your other episodes and uh, talking about values and, and going through those and the difference between corporate and personal brand. And yes, like going through your values and stuff, I don't want to knock that. That is important. Uh, but what's interesting is that's like one strategic component and you should always be evaluating that. But like you may go through like a, a deep dive first when you're creating the brand. But then you have to grow and you have to nurture the brand consistently and consecutively. And, and it actually looks a lot different than we think in the business world. <clears throat> and it's actually based on mental availability and physical availability. So those are the metrics, mental availability, physical availability, and scale. And we have a, a, a guest in this podcast, this is peanut butter. <laughs> He's going to step on my power. Um, <laughs> I was at right. podcast one time and, and it just went, boop. And I was like, oh, he's <laughs> stepping on the, 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 the cord surge protector. Nice. Good job. So right. at the end of the day, mental availability and physical availability are the two words that drive our brand. And really 
mental availability is just that that top of mindness. I want people to think of me first. So then when I roll into the gas station, Coca-Cola doesn't have to introduce their brand. They don't have to tell me to go buy it. They don't have to tell me it's 99 cents. When I walk in, I've seen those signs and my mind is on autopilot. And it's like, oh, I'm just going to reach for a Coke. Because I have the mental availability of being prompted that this is what I buy at a gas station. Right. Uh, and then right. I have the physical availability of here's all the places I can buy it. Hey, Donnie Bovine here, CEO of Success Champions Networking. And I just want to jump in really quick and tell you about the network. Success Champion Networking isn't for the beginning networker. It's for the business people that understand that building a successful relationships is a two-way street requiring commitment from both parties involved. Stop wasting time networking with people that don't understand how to leverage their network to generate quality referrals for you. If you're ready to network with business people that are tired of doing all the heavy lifting and want to build real partnerships that generate high revenue referrals, Visit one of our chapters today at successchampionnetworking.com, and I look forward to seeing you there. there I, th I think there's one more aspect of the brand has to maintain the same level of experience that we were expecting. So what I mean by that is my wife and I went to Ireland. We stopped at a gas station, and they had Snickers bars. I'm like, oh, let's just get a Snickers as on our road trip to go. Well, Ireland has completely different food laws than the U.S. does, mm -hmm. right? So we got these Snicker bars. We both took a bite of our Snicker bars and just kind of looked at each other because they didn't taste anything like a Snickers bar, right? It was a completely different experience because of the food laws in Ireland versus the U.S. Ireland doesn't allow all the extra processing that the U.S. does. So you're getting more of a real product in Ireland than we get in the U.S. and all the crap they put in it. So for two seconds, my brand image, if I'm saying that right, was completely disrupted from what I was expecting from the experience. Were you surprised and delighted in a good way? I mean, was... was uh, It was a different. It wasn't a bad. Sure. It was just different. Sure, um, sure. Uh, I was able to logically explain why that happened, sure. right? Sure. My wife and I are both instantly like, well, of course it's different. We're in Ireland. They, you know, they're going to have things taste different. Like a Coke should taste different, you know, uh, in different countries. Right. <laughs> the categories. Um, I don't know if you heard them, <laughs> the categories. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting yeah. you bring that up is, is obviously brand experience is a part and that's a food related one, which is, is even though, you know, folks that are, are in, you know, uh, in the community, they might not have a food business. That example right. is still true that you do want to create a consistent experience. Now, for, if you're over in Ireland, that is a consistent experience for people who have, you know, so you went out of a context of, you know, your normal consumer behavior habits. Uh, for sure. The big things that, that help drive sales at the end of the day. So we think marketing is really important. And everyone's like, yeah, we got to tell people to do business with us. We got to tell people to do business with us. And really, it doesn't matter whether it's social media, uh, whether it's online, it's print, it's radio. You know, if, if people don't know about radio, it still exists. But, but that used to be a more popular tool. Why? Because as technology changes, the tools of our marketing change. And that's always going to be true. There's going to be, you know, 
magic flip window marketing was soon. Like, I don't know. I just made that up. But if there's ever like floating TV screens, that's going to be a thing. I think I've even seen ads on fridges already. Yeah. Uh, yep. So the, we don't want to get hung up on the tool or the technology, but we do want to know that at the end of the day, for you to be top of mind only happens by by two things. One, obviously marketing. Marketing shares the message. It says, hey, do business with me. There's the branding that's in there. And the more distinctive brand assets you have in your marketing that people can remember, the more memories you're making. Mm. The more memories you're making based on the senses, you know, um, sight, sound, touch, feel, hear, um, and actually break this down. Uh, one of my most popular requested things is actually called uh, the Distinctive uh, Brand Asset Palette. Um, and I came up with this checklist. And if, if listeners are interested in it, we can put it in the show notes for them. It's just sure. a super sure. easy assessment. But the categories that we want to have for our brand is we want to have color assets, a single color, a color combination. You know, yours is black, white, and red, that combination. At the end of the day, probably you would just do red if you had to, maybe. Why? Because red's more distinct than black or white. I don't know. So people usually have like one color option. So that's why we have them because we want to have color assets that, you know, drive that. And then we've got words like the, the typefaces that you're using. Um, words of your program, maybe, or your product, if it's a proprietary process, uh, t- your tagline, you know, um, the best baskets for kittens, well, you know, you know, whatever. The, your tagline is just another mnemonic or memory tool. Then you've got shape, which may be, you know, symbolic images, you know, like the shape of, of the, do you call it a helmet? Is that what you call yours? Helm. 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 Okay. So, you know, the helm itself, that's a shape. It's a symbolic shape. But if you were selling products and your business sold products, you would have package, pack shapes, the shape of the box that stuff comes in, you know, to have a trademark, you know, uh, shape of your package, like Coca-Cola's bottle to uh, Febreze's bottle. Those are a few really specific examples to the product themselves, like a Swiffer that's designed specifically to look unique. So we've got so, color, word, shape, and then the last ones are real easy here. Music, sound, okay. and then characters or people. So spokespeople, celebrity characters. And these right. are the sensory categories that we want to have as many of these to be as distinct in our category and famous as possible. Because if they're not, nobody's going to think of us. And the more chances we have of thinking of us increases... You know, so the key to brand growth is having high mental and a physical availability. And we have that that's achieved by having really distinct, well-known brand assets. So that's the path. That's the path. That's the difference between a mom and pop, which typically has three to five. You know, the average business doing, you know, two to eight million, believe it or not, has five to ten brand assets. That's not a lot. Smaller businesses typically only have three to five, their brand name, their color, their brand mark, um, and maybe a tagline. So we want to be like Fortune 500 companies because here's why. Fortune 500 companies know the secret of brand science. They've been paying to access it since it was in, you know, incepted in the 1960s. Um, even before that, when there was uh, Ford and Chevrolet, 
there was a scientific study uh, by Baker is the, the, the researcher that did it. And they found that, that Ford and Chevrolet had the same customers. There was nothing different. People wanted to say, oh, my customers are different. And actually, you know, 95% of people who drink Coca-Cola also drink Pepsi. Pepsi. So let me ask, I mean, this is fascinating. Um, and I like the fact that you've broken it down to such a level that makes people think. When I created my logo, we'll start there. Sure. Um, I was getting t-shirts made and I went up to a t-shirt place of a friend owned a big frog custom t-shirt shop. Right. And I said, Hey, I need t-shirts made. She goes, do you have a logo? I said, Nope. She goes, we'll create one, create one for you. Sure. And they made the helm. So the helm itself, uh, I told them the story that I came, you know, I, for me, the name of the company success champions based on the movie, Troy, and then putting Brad Pitt out front to defend the, the armies. And I said, these Kings chose this one person to stand out front and be the champion winner take all. But how often do people do that for themselves? How often do they choose themselves and become their own success champion? And that's how I came up with the name. Sure. And they created the helm. So the helm itself creates an S to make the brand. So it's even got a little hidden meaning inside there for success champions. But that was all the thought that went into the brand. Sure. They asked me what my favorite colors are. And I said black and red, right? right. So that's where right. that combination came from. So if I were going to try and extend the brand further, sure, because we don't even have a distinct tagline other than we've thrown around a lot. Don't build your business alone, sure. um, you know, as a tagline. So we would essentially have to come up with a tagline that we completely owned. And then what else? I mean, how do we do we add sure. a voice to it? I mean, there's a lot of things to. Am, am I, should I should I bring in the influencers, you know, and extend it beyond theirs? So, I mean, I know that I'm asking a bunch of questions yeah. in succession, but I think you know where I'm trying sure. to get to. So this is the, the the interesting thing is is most people want to know like what do I do? Where do I start? You know, typically right. when if if you were a new client of mine, I would say you know let's go do some research. What is your category? And we would make sure that that the the shape and the color, like those things, like we're actually going to go out and say like okay. What are leading business podcasts or leading business networking group businesses or, you know, the type of that category, you know, we would do all the research and we would come back with, you know, how I mentioned color, shape, word, all those things. We literally would have a sample set of the top 100 local, regional, national, and international so that we could see the patterns and say like, oh, wow, a lot of these start small and they're red, but when they get big, they turn blue. Huh, that's interesting. Just And there may be interpretation there, there may not be. But the goal is when we look at that, we can see like, oh, is red really easy and distinct in your category? Or is it going to be difficult for you to own and people associate with you? So, so the first thing is we kind of do a category audit. And this is literally where I'm researching the distinctive brand assets of everybody in the category. Then we so is can, that enough to say, let's just go pull all the logos together? So it, it, that's one that's one column. There's really one column that has every every brand mark of every of every uh, you know type in your category. But then here's the other thing: you're actually not just the sum of one category. You're actually the sum of usually two to three additional ones. So then there may be like 
business networking and then there may be business groups. So then BNI may be there. And then, then maybe there's like podcasts. So maybe one of them is podcasts. One of them is networking and one of them is business apps. Just throwing this out there. We, we right. obviously hone down what these categories are because you have kind of, it's like a, uh, a tricorn or triclover. You're a Venn diagram of three categories typically. Because here's yeah, the th- third one would likely be events with our summits. Sure. And, great and example. Great example. So you want to be distinct in that category of events. So this is where it gets just like our fridge example. You may have white chocolate creamer in your fridge or a flavored creamer. Well, you know that when you look at that package, like yellowy tan is hazelnut, maybe like purple is white mocha, and then cinnamon is like a sea foam. I don't know. But then those those norms also carry over into the bakery. And they also carry over in the cookie aisle. And here's the interesting thing that some of those colors and those norms of shape, word, color, story, assets, those influence and those are a borrowed memory structure. So it's my job to look at your categories and say, which one is everyone sharing? And we want to acknowledge because we want to get in people's heads faster. So great example, coffee, you know, and I just use example uh, with, with desserts, you know, but even like coffee shop, like, the, the bean, the bean to the from the tree to the farm to the roaster, like that story, that's a shared memory stru- structure. Nobody yep. can own that story, but they can own the Starbucks coffee master. They can show the guy in the shirt out there with the, you know, with the farmer and then roasting it. So like they're adding their assets on a layer and, and to like envelope that and have more distinctive um, assets that that are distinctive to them. So the goal is for you to have these assets that are distinct to you. So you've got the helm, you've got the colors. The first step would be you've already got those. So we would most likely test which ones are working, which ones aren't. And and then see like, how does this stack up in my category? And then what are the other assets? The goal is we would want to get you to at least 25 to 30 distinctive brand assets. So that is the starting point. We want you to have at least as, and I say you, Donnie, but also the listeners, like we're using you as an example here, uh, that you want to have at least 25 to 35 distinctive brand assets, you know? Okay. uh, So I want to make sure I'm totally understanding the brand asset. So that brand asset could be a song. Uh, it could be a celebrity endorsement. Sure. It could be it could be a, a vocal style. I'm Tom Bodet, and I'll leave the light on for you. You know, and then you've got the and then you got this oh the yep. jingle. So you've got a vocal sound. It may even be the noise on your app, or it may be even the opening intro. You know, on your videos. That's that if you're using that consistently when. People hear that you're like, oh, is that Pearl Jam? No, no, that's the podcast I'm listening to. Like they know, like, like they they immediately know what it is because there may be a music asset. Um, sometimes popular songs. Um, the first time I heard "Fly Like an Eagle" was a USPS commercial when I was a little kid. I didn't know that that was a <laughs> classic rock song. My, well, you, you, it's like the the Eminem song and the Under Pressure song, or the Vanilla Ice song and the Under Pressure right. song. Right. They, they, they both start out the same thing, but they're two completely different songs. Right. right. Yeah. The dun, so dun, dun, so dun, when dun, we, dun. here's the cool thing is, is, you know, you've got, you know, you've got queen and under pressure and, and you hear that. Dun, 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 dun. And here's the thing we do in our mind. It's like a little cluster of memories. And then the reason we use these well-known celebrities or songs or, 
um, spokespeople or characters. It's one more element that we remember. And now if it's a famous person, they have a lot of uh, memories or nodes. And we like quick, we tie a string to it. And all of a sudden it becomes like a spider web of memories that were, oh, shape, word, color. Oh, bet you're not you when you're hungry, ben, Betty White and Danny DeVito in that funny commercial back in the <laughs> yeah. And why? Because a celebrity, it's already known. So what they're trying to do is, and, and we see this and we know when it works and when it doesn't. It doesn't right. work when there's a person, you know, and it's maybe like famous rock stars that we haven't heard of in a while and they come back. Unless we had a lot of top of mindness with that celebrity, we can't swing the memories over. So the endorsement is funny. It's notable. We'll talk about it for a week, but it doesn't drive brand equity unless it really drives us to actually think about it, talk about it and recreate and, and marry more memories together. So the goal is, and here's, here's a really, really interesting thing. No marketing activity in and of itself is more important than the other. So you may have Facebook, you may have social media, you have paid, paid ads, you may have SEO, you may have a lot of things going on. I recommend people have just two that you champion as your main channels. It's like two engines. You want two engines, you know, on your plane going at all time. But here's the interesting thing. None of your activities exist and are more important than each other. Their main purpose is to help you maintain or advance your mental availability. Mm. So you may have an event. And some people have events and they think like the event is like the big thing. Well, maybe the event is just for you to, you know, not saying for you, but in general, maybe the event is just a really significant way you can increase your mental availability with your audience and with your customers. When you say mental availability, tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, it's so, so, you know, I I met you through my friend Todd and Todd told me about you and he was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. You know, he, he cuts through the crap. So, so I already had this little memory about, you know, Oh, he cuts through the crap. And then this morning you said to me like, Oh yeah, that microphone's crap. Don't use that one. (laughs) (laughs) And for all the listeners know, I've got this like fantastic little Yeti mic and we're not using it because it's not working. And cause he's like, yeah, it's crap. So, so then I have another memory. So now I have a memory with you about this microphone. And so you that validated a preconceived notion. Yeah. It's just that my, that, that, like, Oh, that was a perception I had of you. And then you validated like, yeah, um, this is what I think about that. This is what I know from my experience. Here you go. I'd love to share that with you. This is what I know. So then when I see you online, when I listen to more, you know, YouTube episodes and things. So obviously I'm going to be building on those memories. And when somebody's like, hey, I've got a business problem. I need, uh, I think I need somebody. I need something in my life, like like a mentor. I'm not I'm like, dude, you got to go talk to Donnie. He is the guy who will connect you. I don't know if it's one of his groups. I don't know if it's his you know, program. I don't like, but I just know I need to connect him with you. And what's that done? What that's done is your top of mind when I have a problem yeah. or the right scenario comes along. Like when I'm thirsty, I need a drink. So I'm going to go get some water. But when I'm at the gas station, what am I going to go grab? Typically the brands that I have the most experience with and have the most memories with the brand with the more memories and the more associations is the one that we think of first. 
And so there's a whole lot of science to messaging and, and there's only four types of messages. And, and it's funny as you see, you know, a really cool commercial on, on the Super Bowl, but then you never hear of that brand again. Oh, here's right. the cool Audi or Acura. But because that, it was just one story. Right. But then they just... introduced a brand, but there wasn't a sign to drive event or a coupon for Oatly milk. So there's not a call to action. I don't know what to do. So right. you can only introduce the brand, have a call to action, talk about a feature and benefit, and then share what the experience is. Those are the four types of messages. And you have to cycle through those regularly to keep driving those touch points. And the brand that doesn't do that, the brand that doesn't have distinctive assets to help make memories and then work through those four main types of messaging, they're not going to get bought. And there's another myth about, we think, you know, branding and marketing like is, is educating people. It's teaching. No, it's not. You have 95% of your brain is on autopilot and it is your job to get seen so you can get sold because unseen is unsold. And we know this to be true. If nobody knows about us, how are they ever going to work with us? Right. All right. So I want to unpack a few things because there's a bunch in there. So uh, this really hit home for me when you, when you said top of mind, because I am a true believer that the power of networking is not about who you know, it's who that personal you. brand story. But yeah, it's who's actually talking about you in the right conversations, right? Who's bringing your name up because yes. you are top of mind. You know, so that that really sent it home for me to, to allow me to wrap my head around, you know, building this case from for the brand science, which I'm actually kind of geeking out on myself now. So thank you for that. Yeah. Right. So so but I'm also looking at a perspective of man, as as a, a business owner. Three companies were running, you know, we got the podcast going, we got the books, we got the speaking, we got all these moving parts. How the hell do I find time to bring all the brand science into it so we're creating all these legs? I mean, I'm looking at somebody who's a solopreneur or maybe they have an under five person team, you know, and none of them is a marketing person yet. You know, they're, they're a lot of VAs, a lot of support, you know, maybe an automation specialist, that type. How the hell do you put all these, these brand, uh, uh, you put a name to it that escaped me, but legs out there, if you yeah. will, that, that, that just seems like a moment of overwhelm trying to think through sure. all that. So we talked about initially creating your brand and you may have gone through a process where you worked on those. And, and then we talked about, okay, now we want to add a few more assets, typefaces. Here's a great example. If you go and use a typeface that someone else like we say font. Font is the file. So this is why I say typeface instead. So you use okay, the font. Fair enough. That's how you know somebody geeks out on it is there's a whole different language right? Um, that they, they so use. So we know them as fonts. Uh, so I'll just say the word fonts. So all your buddies are using this font. If you use that font too, you don't want to drive traffic to them. So you want fonts or typefaces that conceptually and psychologically speak to the value and the style I do this on my website um, and, and with my materials. So brand science is a really chunky thing. It can be really overwhelming. So the way that I combat this is I use Nunito. Nunito is rounded. It's soft. It's easy to read. And it actually kind of gives it a really like fresh, fun vibe. 
because, and when I introduce my, myself to folks, you know, uh, one of the words I say is, you know, I'm the adorkable brand scientist next door. Like I'm like, I'm fun. I'm lighthearted. You know, we talked about cookies and dessert items and stained teeth. Like we've talked about these examples and I'm trying to make it lighthearted and easy. So yes, I may be a sage archetype, but, um, one of the values for my brand is to ensure that it's easy to digest and it's, it's not overwhelming and it doesn't feel like, Ooh, I, that's too complicated. You know? So, so that's one of the ways that, you know, so I'm adding a, so having a typeface and adding assets so, that help me tell my story makes people think of me first. Go ahead. No, it, it, it's just funny to me. So two things that ran through my head is when I worked in St. Louis, I worked in a very large marketing department, part of the team. And I think there was like 40 something people in the marketing department. Part of the team was a guy that all he did was pick the fonts for the graphic designs. So, so all the imaging and everything out, he chose a very specific fonts. And I never understood why they had a font guy, right? And it, type, type, whatever yeah, you say, yeah, yeah. guy. You know, um, uh, so that, that just made me giggle a little bit inside that that was the reason they had that particular sure. person doing a thing. The second thing that ran through my head was, okay, I love Canva. Right. Canva is like crack cocaine for me. I can play on Canva all day long. Right. I should be running a business, but I'll find myself screwing around in Canva. Right. Um, and I've heard the idea of getting a consistent font and, and, and the likes or consistent type form, however you want to go. I'm going to say font. That's easier for me to remember. Sure. Right. Um, you know, as I'm in there, but sometimes the template just looks freaking killer. Right. Inside a Canva, and I want to go with that. Sure. I mean, so two questions. One, how do I choose that font that goes for my brand? Second, how consistent to that font do I have to stay in everything that I do? Sure. So when I'm building this out, your your question is really good. When we're building this out, if I was going to say, you know, we did the research on your category, uh, we would come back and say, here are the new assets we want to add to your brand so that you can have the 25 to 35. We would choose those based on what is the voice, what is the the conceptual like ideas that you're like what fits and what is also distinct for that will be distinct for you when people see it they'll think of you. And then you'll have those. And when you when you I don't know if you remember Bob Ross, I'm, I mean most people oh, I love Bob Ross. Know how he talks about having, you know, uh putting a little uh uh, cloud here, a little tree here. Yeah, what does yeah. he do? He, happy tree. Happy tree. He <laughs> goes down. Uh, my favorite Bob Ross episode is when uh, somebody wrote in and said, um, I can't paint. I'm colorblind. So he did the whole thing in grace. Great. So yep. good. Yep. So what does he do? He goes down to his palette. And his. this is why I call it a palette is you have your colors, your music, your shape. Imagine, you know, like that little palette that someone holds and that's that's your go-to thing. So like similar to like if you went to a restaurant, the more menu items there are in a restaurant, the better chances you're going to find something that you like to eat. Same thing with your brand. The more assets that you have, if you have five, you know, five typefaces, I had to count in my hand here. <laughs> um, you know, if you have five typefaces, you may have one that's just for pull quotes. That's the only time you use it is pull quotes. You may have another one that's just for headers. Um, like pull quotes. Title. Pull quote is like, 
like this was the best episode ever uh, with Steven. Like that's you know, boop, we're going to put that on there later. Uh, this is the best. Episode ever. <laughs> and, you know, so that may be a poll quote. That may be a quote testimonial. So you may use that one typeface just in that one way. Then you may have the body copy on like your website and all your documents and all those things. And it may be a common one um, on all computers. It may not be, but it's easy to read. It helps you deliver the content. You know, if you want to look real professional and technical, there's professional and technical typefaces out there. If you want to be easy and casual, there's easy and casual ones out there. So the goal is you've got all these assets on this palette and, and like a menu, variety increases the chance you'll find the best options for any specific situation. So the thing with this palette is that they're not ingredients that always have to be there, but they're variables that can be utilized based on your format, your channel, whether it's Canva, whether it's YouTube, whether it's the bottom of the screen saying it's, you know, our names on the video and we're organizing it as a palette, but you may be like, Oh, uh, I'm doing a new social media campaign. Uh, well, yeah, we should have a color on there. And oh, here's some photographs of of our human asset. Here's Donnie. Uh, and then what else? Oh, here's the name of the program. Okay, so there's a word. And then oh, we gotta have a brand mark on there because this is in our feed regularly. We want people to see it. In their f- so you kind of become your own little Bob Ross with your brand. You're grabbing the assets. It's not about matchy matchy. Now, if you are University of Texas and have fifty thousand departments, yes, consistency, and we'll have a production guide and. But the average small business owner um, doing, you know, anywhere from 30K a year to 30K a week, you know, regardless of your size, you don't need a production style guide. What you need are assets that you're using regularly, consistently, so that when people see you out and about, around, online, in person, at events, whatever, they see those brand marks, they see those colors, they see those different sensory assets. And here's the thing. We talk about marketing. We used to think it was teaching people. It's actually not. We're not trying to teach people anything. They are distracted, emotional people, and they are sponges soaking up stuff around them. And we want them to just soak up our stuff. And the way you said earlier, and I want to bring this back up, is really, really important. You're like, Stephen, how do I do this? This is so frustrating. You know, um, you you can do these things on your own. You can do the brand asset checklist, find out how many you have. And that'll help you figure out which ones you need next. So it's just, uh, it's a bit.ly link, bit.ly brand science checklist. So you can check that out. It's going to be in the show notes. But once you you do that and you know how many assets you have, there's really seven rules. Seven rules. Um, Use assets, (laughs) number one, (laughs) most important one. Um, and, And, you know, create and use distinctive brand assets. And then you've also got to do this. Every 90 days, you should probably have a business plan or business goals or business sprints that you're doing. Well, use this as part of the way that you do business. Have an initiative that's on there for your next 90 days. So if you are going to do an event coming up, then your marketing for the event should make sure it has all the assets on it. So part of this is like right woven in it. But then there's other things like, Oh, we should probably look at testing and seeing we've got, you know, a whole bunch of assets. We don't know if they're good or not. You can test them. I can test them, um, you know, with the brand, uh, brand science checklist. But the goal is test them, find out the ones that aren't working. 
You know, it's like skew optimization. Which ones aren't selling? Get rid of them. Which ones do people not think of you? You might think that blue is so important to you and your story. At the end of the day, I love you. And these stories that we tell ourselves about being, you know, it's a family owned company. Like so are five bajillion other companies. That's not distinct. But, you know, some of the stories that we think are so intrinsic to who we are, if they look just like everyone else, it doesn't matter how much meaning is in there. So what we find out is meaning doesn't last. It's actually just being distinct. So, so the example that I love to bring up is, uh, I love Seth Godin's, uh, commentary about the purple cow. You notice the purple cow, but here's the thing, Sethi, uh, let's have lunch, but there are no purple cows unless somebody painted it. There are no purple cows. So you may notice a brown Guernsey or a Jersey cow in a field of Angus that's branding. Like you have to use the systems and, and what actually is real. Now, not the best example, but it just shows you like, you can't just be different for the sake of being different because then you're not kind of like, it's like baseball. First base is the customer cues. It's what they're looking for. Ooh, chocolate chip, crunchy, chewy, gluten-free, crispy, whatever just the cues are. But then there's the industry norms, flat pack, shrink wrap, parchment cups, whatever, like, like you you can't be too different. So if you want to say, well, I'm a fresh baked cookie. Okay, that's great. But you're over in the bakery. Now you're a bakery item. You no longer can do competition here. So then the baseball diamond becomes, where do we hit the ball? Well, we can just ride on the coattails because most brands are near knockoffs of each other. And so there's blue sandwich chocolate cookies that look just like Oreos. And I love going to the cookie aisle, see what those freaks at Oreo are doing, like what new flavors they've invented, <laughs> like uh, chocolate chip carrot cake muffin. Oh, cool. Cool. Uh, so, so we see there may be category norms of colors and flavors and things, but you have to be in your category and follow those norms. And then hitting a home run is doing what visually and verbally and sensory wise other people aren't doing but it has to be in your, your ball diamond, in your category. Man, it's a lot to unpack, but it, it makes sense in my head. So I hope the yeah, listeners hope so too. It does as well. So, you know, once upon a time, going back a little bit to your palette idea, which I really like that concept, hired a marketing firm mm-hmm. to come in to help us figure out marketing strategy. So what we assumed we were getting and what was delivered were two different things. Ah. Obviously, a lot of the error is on me knowing the right question to ask mm. when you're hiring a firm, right? So <laughs> what we thought we were getting was a whole marketing strategy, game plan, and the likes, and then we would get execution on the back of it. What they handed me was a brand kit. Right. They reshaped my logo. They gave me some pretty fonts. Um, and we ended up not using inning it and severing that relationship sure. because it wasn't what sure. we're looking for. And I think a lot of people, as they're looking at their marketing, they're looking at their branding and I know I'm using them interchangeously, but I'm thinking like a small business owner, mm-hmm. you know, um, there's a lot of where the hell do I spend my money sure. to make sure I get the impact now trying to play the long game here, sure. you know, but need, 
ROI, right? Off of investments and the like. So, so my fear would be working with a company like yours would be, is these guys just going to give me another brand kit? I don't need another brand kit, right? What I need is how do we go to market as fast as possible, get ROI from this endeavor so that investment gets paid back quickly. So the challenge there, yeah, that's a really good question. And and I hope, uh, first off, um, uh, I want to hold space for people that have been through that. Like that sucks. I don't want to acknowledge that. Like if, if you've been through that and that happened to you, that sucks. And I'm so sorry on the, uh, it's like, if you've gone to a bad church and you've had a hurtful experience there, it's like, same thing for me. When you have a marketer, that's really kind of like hosed you in the, in the negative way. Like, and you're like, ah, I'm sorry. I'm real like, right. So please don't bring that baggage to me. Uh, I want you to carry your own bag here. I, I, I can't hold you guilty for something you did not know. Right. Fair, so fair, but here's fair. the interesting thing is the majority of marketers are marketers and name only. I agree with that. And they, um, my friend Dan wrote a book called uh, Snake Oil. Uh, Dan Russell, he's a uh, award-winning uh, neuromarketer and um, expert on funnels. And he can tell you the three C's of, you know, campaigns, conversions and, and customers and uh but he talks about minnows and uh minnows marketing and name only and and unfortunately when we go look for help it's typically the people they're not trying to bamboozle us they are not i, right. I believe I in my heart of hearts they actually believe they're doing the good things but what they actually they don't know what they also don't know and yeah. so come to find out they're just regurgitating what they've learned what i like to call on the back of the bus uh, I don't know if you rode the bus as a kid. I did as a kid. And all the cool kids sat in the back and you wanted right. to hear what they had to say. And they were the leading authority. And interestingly enough, that is how most of us learned about the birds and the bees, who was dating yes. whom, and other interesting, important topics of the day. The same thing happens with our businesses is that we are listening to people on the back of the bus. Uh, it's the difference between the back of the bus and then an age-appropriate, you know, children's Encyclopedia Britannica on reproductive systems. Right. Like nobody, no. I, and, and I, maybe your parents sat you down and gave you that book. I'm also sorry for that. That was probably awkward. But the same thing <laughs> is we need age-appropriate, age and stage-appropriate language for our businesses to understand how do we navigate the space. Well, and uh, to that point, I think what most of the marketers are doing is they hear Gary Vee say something. So that now sure. becomes the thing. Or sure. they went through a webinar or a workshop sure. that says, oh, you need to create a brand kit for your company sure. first. Sure. And so – to your point, they're doing what they believe to be true. Right. They're doing right? what they it's believe to be true. And what, here's what's interesting is there isn't a foundational – there may be an action or an item or a theory. But at the end of the day, Gary Vee or Seth Godin, any of these incredible minds that are sharing theories – and I want to point out, I love them and they're sharing theories. Brand science is based on qualitative and quantitative empirical evidence-based metrics. We can measure them. We can look at them. I can go and look on the trademark electronic search system and find out – you know, the other helm brand marks that exist out there and whether or not you can use that on clothing to trademark that one on clothing and say that you're now a clothing brand because maybe somebody else already has that. But you only do business in the 035 business space. Oh, and maybe the educational space. So we'll trademark it in that. That is empirical. It's metrics. I can look at it. I can say also right. the increase of the use of, you know, Greco-Roman heraldry and images increased 39%. From the time, you know, Troy and 300 and all these movies came out. Like, I can see the timeline. I can see how these things are used. So that's why I feel so strongly about brand science. And so 
instead of a theory that we're going to apply, here's the thing. We can back up and actually created a program. Um, and this is not a pitch. This is just exactly why this is such a problem. Um, it's called Brandpreneur. And instead of people going to agencies and saying, hey, what do I need? And then here's what they happen. You go to that guy or that agency person, uh, guy or girl, um, and they, they come back and they, they share with you, you know, hey, Donnie, we've got this package. Here's, and then what do they do? They share you a process. They share their products. And it's based on their profit, honestly. And it's their process, but they're, they're giving you like Goldilocks. Like here's too big, here's too small, and here's just right. Like right. really? Like, like why couldn't you just pitch me the right thing? So then here's Ooh, where this, what a great way of saying it. I love everything about that. Like, why can't you just share me exactly what I need? Here's why. Because the majority of marketers don't know what they don't know. And they also don't know that when we're building your business, there's multiple facets and they are only operating in one. And brand science works in an age and stage format. So yes, we are going to talk about your brand because there is, when we look at the brand authority pyramid, we break it apart. There's four triangles there. And this is the brand one. First thing on the list is you have to have your brand platform, your brand identity, your strategy, you know, your archetype, your story, your messaging, your core, all this, you know, values and things. Uh, values uh, is actually uh, on the bottom. It's the base. So leadership and values and your core idea, that's you know, that's the right. chamber. Like, what does a uh, pyramid do? It's enshrining something really important so it can elevate it. You know, so so when we look at brand, brand platform is this really important one at the bottom of the base. And then here's the other thing. There's age and stage appropriate um, things that are based on, you know, traction, growth, uh, scale and authority. So you can't get to an authority level with your business in your market if you are over at your brand missing your brand platform. We build pyramids from the base up on all four sides. And that marketing agency has come to you and said, hey, we're going to do this, this, and this. And they've not addressed any of the other needs that you need to help your business scale up. So you may be doing, you know, you may be a category leader in your own mind, but then we go and we look at the brand authority pyramid and be like, oh wow, my brand platform, you know, is 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 weak. We want to make sure that that's solid. We want to so you're always your lowest common denominator. So we have to work on that. You know, it's like it doesn't matter if you can bench 500 pounds if you, you know, can't do leg day. Like you've got to be able to walk right. to get there. So we need the, that leg day. Uh, you know, so at the end of the day, my goal is I want to empower people to look at their business is, and understand this is what I need. So folks that go through the Brandpreneur program, um, and the, the reason I share this is because I want this for everybody. I want people to learn about brand science. And I want them um, to go to these agencies and say, hey, we are stuck in growth mode. And yep. we're at growth mode and we're struggling in our operations to connect that seamlessly with our marketing. How can you help us do that? Go. Now, wouldn't that be empowering for you? Wouldn't that be empowering to say, hey, we've got a brand deck. Um, we're struggling with a customer experience issue. We don't want to take this out of house. Uh, but what we're finding is we want to develop the right technology to support our back end. Go. Hey, we actually have um, some challenges with our internal staff. Um, everyone's feeling, you know, uh, a little disconnected. Uh, 
how can we bring them together on a regular basis uh, because we're all remote? And how do I pass on that brand culture when I'm in a remote company? Go. So all of a sudden, we've just dis- we've taken the power away from these marketers who are going to waste our time because all of a sudden they don't have the right tools. Well, no, um, I've uh, got a package Goldilocks too small, Goldilocks too soft, and Goldilocks just right. Yeah. So yeah, actually, actually, at the end of the day, they don't. They're about solving their problem. They're only about selling their products and making you think that you need their product. So then we leave. You leave thinking, oh, I must have done something wrong. I didn't write, ask the right questions. I wasn't doing the right things with my marketing. So we go to these workshops and things and we go, and some of them may work. Here's the thing, but it doesn't mean they're based on fact and metrics. You know, anybody can, can lose weight just eating less calories. But if you eat this magic Twinkie that's less calories and that's the only thing you eat, of course you're going to lose weight eating the Twinkie because it's a co- reduced caloric intake. That's the same thing with this marketing stuff. That if you go to these unvetted sources that aren't using metrics, that aren't looking at your age and stage of the business, helping you grow up each of those four things. And, and you said, you know, how do I, how do I keep this from being overwhelmed? You know, for, we talked about distinctive brand assets. We talked about, you know, uh, memory structures. Well, you want to get noticed and you want to be consistent and you want to stay competitive and you need to make, to make, you need to make it easy for people to buy. I think that's the number one thing is making it easy for everyone to buy and making it easy to buy. Don't tell me crazy statistics. Tell me about underwater basket weaving for otters, cute wet baskets, tasty ice cream that won't melt because you eat it so fast. Like, like get to the jugular. Tell me why, why I should care. So, when we focus on, this is a really good one, and I don't want to derail anyone's, I'm probably going to get hate messages about this, but um, everyone spent so much time on uh, customer personas. And unfortunately, there's no such thing as Chloe, who's 23, who lives in Chicago, who shops at Whole Foods, has a French bulldog, loves Pinterest, and like seafoam teal. She doesn't exist. Now, what may exist is that she is a pet owner. She may be a person who uses the train in Chicago. And so all of a sudden, ah, what are the states that I want to help her with? And if I don't see her as a problem or I see her states as a problem, like, oh, we got to fix stuff for Chloe. But rather like, oh, what does Chloe want? Chloe wants to not always have to use the train. Chloe doesn't want to always have to walk her own dog. Oh, so she wants to like go from this state to that state. So when we make our universal our messaging universal we're not focusing on a special type of customer that is just getting into these nuanced demographics that just don't exist and at the end of the day we really should be targeting not repeat or heavy buyers because if you drink two cokes a year you're a heavy buyer you actually want to target everybody in your market which is light mild moderate and heavy and then if you're selling that to everyone you're getting noticed you're using your distinctive brand assets consistently and competitively that's how you grow your brand equity all right i'm gonna bring you back on the show because i want to dive into this personas uh further because 
I want to wrap my head around that ide- ideology more because personas are sold heavy, 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 mm, heavy. I mean, we've got the heaviest the sold marketing Kool Aids there is, right? And and we've spent a good amount of time as a company coming up with our persona. So I, I want to do that. So we'll pick that up on another episode. But the the, the last thing I want to kind of really get my head wrapped around is this still feels like a lot. Like there's a lot to do when you think about your brand and bandwidth mentally as a business owner, you only have so many things that you can focus on at a time. And, you know, this feels, and it shouldn't feel this way, but this feels like, okay, this is that thing we'll get to. Sure. Right. Down the road because we're still putting out fires and trying to build things. And when the company gets to X, we'll do X type thing, right? We have that kind of thought process to it. Um, for somebody who's thinking in that regards, of, this is a nice to have down the road type of thing. How should I reframe that in my head? So this is, is something that I should adamantly focus on now in the business oh, still there yep okay um so let's reframe this and say let's just start with is your business important to you and i would i would ask you is your business important to you and how much time do you have to waste and when it comes my reversal to- of that question is how do I know this is the thing that I should prioritize over everything else? Sure. So the reason brand science is so important is because all the other facets of your business are are derived from it. It's actually how your business functions in the minds of people. And until we live in a world that is all using Braille and none of our senses and like robots just ship us stuff on auto delivery and we're told what to purchase, like the mind of the consumer, the mind of your audience, the mind of your customer, whatever words, the mind of your clients is the most important territory for you to invest in. And understanding that at the end of the day, All brand growth, um, all brand growth occurs as a result of having high mental and physical availability. The key, this is an empirical fact. Um, Studies have been done uh, at the Ehrenberg Base Institute in Australia. And if anybody wants to look that up, they can. That's actually one of the major homes of brand science abroad. And the Ehrenberg, the, the EBI, we'll just call it EBI. Ehrenberg Base Institute uh, actually provides pay-to-play programs for billion-dollar brands. And this is what those billion-dollar brands are investing in. So if Coca-Cola and Mondelez and Nestle and all these major brands have been investing in this since day one, wouldn't it behoove you to spend you know, a little time learning the basics Because they know that the key to brand growth is having high mental and physical availability. And that happens by having 
highly distinct, well-known brand assets. That's the reason. That is the reason branding is so important. Not because it's what people feel, what people think. Again, puppy, another conversation. But empirically, when we look at it, this is how products are bought and sold using the semiotic boxes in our head and with your brand assets, with the helm, with your colors, with you as the spokesperson, the names of your programs, the names of your products, all those together create distinctive memory structures that are unique to you. And the more of those you have, the more territory and nodes is the technical memory term. So there's like memory science in there too the more nodes you have. And so the more nodes you have, the more people will think of you. And that is, that is why, because that's how you are going to do business. Unseen is unsold. So then yes, you want to attract new customers and new opportunities. How do you do that? By getting in front of, you know, irrational, distracted, emotional viewers. Maybe irrational is not the right term, but it's not, we're we're not, we're (laughs) shifting from, teaching and this idea the old way of marketing was teaching people and they're rational no they're emotional and we need to distract them to get their attention because they are what on autopilot so once we've distracted them we're going to use that same system now there's a whole bunch of conversations isn't this manipulative does coca-cola feel manipulative to you right (laughs) they're just everywhere why because that's the level of where they are in the brand authority pyramid they're at the top they've already moved past scale so they're already an authority. So they don't need to introduce their products really unless they come up with a new product like cinnamon Coke or orange vanilla Coke, which is the best one on the planet. Um, <laughs> so, so unless they're introducing, they're at a level of scale where they really don't need to do much. They're just what? Maintaining mental availability. So Love it. You, you ask, why is this so important? Yep, yeah. And, and I hope I nailed it. I brought it down. Like, like I love you that did. so many people want to talk about branding and the feelings and the experiences. And yes, those are emotion, emotional experiences do have a place in the experience timeline with your customers and, you know, getting their feedback, making sure they're happy. But we're not even there yet because they haven't even picked up, you know, your item from the store or online or clicked your thing because they don't know who you are. Right. And this is the way, as the Mandalorian says, this is the way. (laughs) This is the way. way. Dude, Steven, this has been a lot of fun, man. I actually really learned a lot through this. And I, I, be honest with you, I felt like I knew a lot about branding coming into this. So thank you for teaching me a lot of things that that I hadn't thought or even heard about to this depth before. So I really, really appreciate you you hanging out. And and before I let you go, I I again want to mention, if this is overwhelming for you, just feel like you're just having a like a matrix moment this is what most people have when they're like, I just had the orange pill because I love orange. So, uh, you know, so they had the orange pill and now they're like, Oh wow, this is actually how the world works. And like, that's great. Like marinate, serenate, percolate on this, listen to this episode again. And when you're ready, go to bit.ly forward slash brand science checklist. And you can check out, you know, an assessment tool that just helps you count. That's all it is. It says, hey, here's our palette, you know, our Bob Ross palette of assets. And here's how many you have. Great job. Or here's how many you have. Mm, here's an opportunity for you to add more. Okay. And you can do that yourself or you can hire somebody else to do it. Depends on where you are in your journey, what you want to have done. 
but you at least know that it's a priority because the more of these assets you have that help share visually and verbally who you are, what you do, and why what you do matters, then your your business and your brand is going to be able to grow because you have high mental and physical availability. Love it, brother. Dude, thanks again for doing this. A lot of fun, a lot of knowledge, man. I hope they get a lot out of this one. You bet. And thanks, everyone, for listening. It was great. Uh, great uh, sharing all this with you and, and I hope it's really insightful for you and sparks a lot of great conversations. When I created Success Champions, it was on the idea that most people make themselves an island as they're growing their business. Yeah, they just don't want people to know how bad things are because if anybody knew how bad things are, nobody would do business with you. So like me, they don't often reach out for advice. They don't get support. They just try and put their head down and grind through it. And let's be honest, man, that that lifestyle sucks. And when you're constantly trying to find yourself to push through it and figure it out on your own, it often leads to misery. We created Success Champions so you don't make yourself an island, so you don't build your business alone. There are a ton of people that are going through it on the same journey that are looking for the same advice you are. Maybe they've been through it and are looking to help. So come hang out with Success Champions. Go to successchampionnetworking.com. Go visit one of our peer groups and let's help you actually get to business freedom. Don't build your business alone. Come hang with us as success champions.